Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of Money Reimagined is sponsored by CME Group and PayPal. You're listening to Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. Hello and welcome to another edition of Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. Unfortunately, this week I am alone. Sheila can't be with us. Uh, I'm in Lisbon uh, at the NEACON, the the event put on by the folks uh, running the NEAR Foundation, the NEAR Protocol. And I'm here with the founder and now the new CEO of uh, the Neo Foundation, the founder of the protocol, the co-founder of the whole thing, Ilya Polosukin. And really, I mean, pleasure to be here as always. I mean, you did actually, as often happens at these events, you break a bit of news along the way. Uh, one of which was the fact that you're now uh, the CEO. You were previously really, I, I suppose, the co-founder of the protocol. The foundation was a separate thing, but you had now stepped in to, to take charge of, of the actual foundation itself. Explain the logic behind that. Yeah, so uh, thank you and uh, welcome to Lisbon for NearCon. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, so we started the kind of the protocol, the ecosystem. There's a lot of different nodes in the ecosystem already kind of working across different aspects. And I've been a lot more focused on product and technology kind of up till now. Um, but as we kind of evolving into the next stage with focusing on founders and kind of bringing together some of the interesting new innovations and governance, um, kind of foundation is a way to coordinate some of these pieces coming together, especially around coordinating kind of what we call founder success, really ensuring that projects and builders who are, who are coming to NIR, and, and, and we'll talk about what NIR really means, um, are successful, are able to, you know, get to the user, provide value and build their kind of companies. And what's better than, you know, a founder actually leading that effort. So uh, that's kind of background of me coming in. Okay, right. So sort of really, I suppose, charge up that exercise of supporting the uh, the developers and, and others who are working on the, on the protocol. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about what NIR is. But I think also maybe one way to frame it is it seems like the big theme that you, at this event, that you've been talking about this for some time, really, is this idea of, of an open web and you're really focused on an interoperability and on stage today, I think Mike Butcher from TechCrunch had said that, you know, you were first described as an Ethereum killer. You've come a long way since then, right? This is in, in fact, a very different idea about what 
this sort of multi-chain, you know, interoperable world is about. So tell us a little bit about what that's about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I want to mention, yeah, that we never were trying to be or wanting to be an Ethereum killer. Yes, we always worked don't. worked with Ethereum uh, from the start. Actually, uh, we published how Ethereum works with like uh, worked, you know, went to all the hackathons and events, and actually worked very closely with the ecosystem broadly, as well as with kind of a lot of individual folks there. And so for us, it's always been from the experience side and kind of, you know, within this bigger vision of open web, right, where, you know, we want people to own their assets, to own, to own their data, to have power of governance, right? If we think from this perspective and want to bring a billion users, there's a set of things you need to do to achieve that, right? The experience needs to be extremely smooth, better than Web2, ideally. It needs to be easy to develop and build so we can attract, you know, tens of thousands, ideally, even millions of developers to, to maybe not they build a Web3 startup. They build a startup and it uses Web3, right? Like nobody right now says I'm doing a mobile app. People just building apps and they're mobile because that's where the users are, yeah. right? And so, and then to do that, you need a scalable blockchain. You need a lot of tooling and kind of back when we started, that was kind of the piece that was missing. So we invested a lot in blockchain ecosystem, but blockchain infrastructure itself and you know the user experience on the blockchain level. Now, you know, fast forwarding, like where we are now is way beyond the blockchain, right? There's now a bunch of blockchains that are either scalable or scaling or offering different aspects where you can have different functionality on them. And now it's the experience part is still like a, and kind of connecting these dots. And so we introduced blockchain operating system as a way to really explain that it's not just about blockchain. It's about really the operating system that ties all the pieces together and provides a way for kind of developers to really build things in such a way that anybody anywhere can use it, right? Think of it as like, you know, when you think of operating systems, you build an app and you have the distribution, right? You have the platform on which everybody else can leverage on. And that's kind of what we're trying to frame it with. And it's natural that this operating system works with any blockchain, right? It's, it's like if internet didn't work with Google Cloud, right? It's like, <laughs> right. Right. Or, or like, the, right. you know, Apple wouldn't work with Google Cloud websites, right? That's yeah. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> and so we are working more and more with other blockchains in different capacities. We're offering them also, you know, we, we announced data availability. So it's, you know, part of what other, you know, layer twos blockchains need to, you know, reduce their transaction fees. We're 8,000 times cheaper. So really good, you know, multiplier for them to reduce their fees. Similarly, how we, you know, work with consumer apps for them, easy onboarding, extremely cheap fees, you know, fast kind of settlement. Like those are benefits that you can, you can leverage when you use kind of near ecosystem, broadly mm -hmm. speaking. So you talk about the, the blockchain kind of being abstracted away, yeah. essentially, right? So is the idea that this blockchain operating system, this is actually the, I suppose, the realm in which developers are working. Yeah. And then... Underneath it, it could be any blockchain that they're using. Can to, be on your blockchain. And obviously, like, you know, with any abstraction, it's not completely like transparent. But, you know, we kind of, I think as a whole ecosystem is going in that direction where you can launch an app and then, you know, users should be able to use it independently where, you know, they started from and where the app is, right? That, that's kind of where we're going. And similarly, when I'm, you know, going to a website or installing an app, I shouldn't need to think about it as like, well, SAP is an arbitrum, so I need to like set up another wallet, you know, transfer, do this, like, oh, you know, where it's stored in my seed phrase again. Like, like those things should not be of concern for any users. Set up, you enter an email, you signed up. Like if you already have an account, you know, automatically pulls in. All the data from all chains is there. 
it's indexed, it's kind of accessible for developer to showcase if they need to. And then, you know, if the smart contract is on that chain, you know, there's a kind of transparent way to move assets or move data. And it's your data, right? So, you know, can move with that. And so, like, that's kind of the concept we're going yeah. after. And that's really, like... It's also, I think, interesting to think about what it might mean from a, 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 a sort of a broader mass adoption perspective. Because, like, I mean, there's a number of reasons why it, I think just the current, you know, user experience is just so off-putting for people. One is it is clunky and difficult to understand. The other is it's like it's it's actually got a bad name at the moment, right? Like you know, there's a this misassociation, of course, with the tech as a result of some of the problems we've had in the uh, during the crypto winter with some of these big blow ups, <laughs> uh, and and you know the negative language choice of the word crypto and so forth. So the idea that you would actually be able to just push all that to the background and just like you know in some way no, no one talks about like you know internal combustion engine, they talk about the car. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I think like. Hopping to that, because I really think that one of the things that's consistent with where you guys seem to be philosophically is that, that this open web idea is a really important thing for the world itself. What needs to happen, basically, to get people to start using these sorts of apps and understand the power of owning their data and information, their, their assets, and this sort of more self-sovereign concept that is in, in that open web model? You know, if we abstract out fundamentally, right, I think that we can end up in two possible worlds, right? I, one world where one or few companies pretty much control everybody's identity and data and they pretty much dictate it. And it's not that because they're like inherently evil when they start. It's more because like as you amass more power, power you naturally yeah. become uh, doing that. And especially when you're trying to generate like profit from everything you touch. Or we are in an open web world where it's kind of an even field, you know, the, everybody participates equally and benefits from this. And to achieve that, you, you cannot give up your data at, or at least give up it without kind of a appropriate reward, which can be, you know, using product, but also needs to be kind of more in control. And so to kind of get there, though, we need better products. We need this mo mode not just be kind of philosophical because sadly yeah. individually we don't actually care and like yeah. the reality is like you know we're still using google yeah. we're still using all the services because they're convenient and so we need something that's more convenient because it follows those principles and i think what we've been trying to do with blockchain operating system is start to get us into that direction where it's actually more convenient to use because all your data is already there right. you have your social graph you have your payments you have your you know uh kind of like friends and what you bought, et cetera, already there. And so it's easier to build new application for developer and it's easier for user than to install a new app is to use in the same ecosystem because this new apps in this ecosystem will already know all the context, right? And that's how we get there. It's like by actually leveraging this composability that OpenWeb brings yeah. and building better products. And it's hard, it's absolutely hard to get there because building really good products that users want is hard. Yeah. And but the benefit is we have Sweatcoin, we have Kaiching, we have a few other apps like PlayAmber that have done this before. And they understand uh, or at least they see the benefits of leveraging the technology to bring more value to their users. Mm -hmm. And so through that we can actually like build out and surface more and more use cases and applications in their own user bases. Millions of users like mm. uh, Sweatcoin has 120 million install base, right? Um, Kaiching right now is the top app in Web3. It has 700,000 yeah. daily active that's a, users that's, that's on-chain. Yeah, yeah. 
like by far, right? No, that, that's, that's what you need. You need those, that scale. And it actually leads me to the next question I was going to ask is how do you think about the network effects challenge in, in, through this lens? We've heard it for so long, right? Yeah. Well, no one's going to get off Facebook because everybody's on Facebook. So you have a chicken and egg problem. You know, I'm going to start my little venture over here, yeah. but no one's there, right? And uh, I mean, as you know, I'm working on a book with, with Frank McCourt. And one of the things we talk about in this idea where if everybody owns their data, the network effect actually is, is a kind of a public good. Exactly, right? yeah. And, and, and that, that in fact, therefore, this you know, unfair advantage that the incumbents have is the goes away, yeah. right? Yeah. So, because you talk about, as you said, you, right there in your blockchain operating system, people are coming in, they've already got their data, they've got their social graph, got all that stuff that's important to all that. Yeah, and so, so applications come to them. So right. instead of you going to application, yeah. applications come to you, yeah. and your data is pretty much sideloaded into the application on your side. Right. Right. That's kind of what happens. And yeah. that's like the way we architected it is the front end application part mm. is actually stored on chain and comes to your kind of phone or, mm -hmm. or laptop and renders there with your data, right? Okay. So, so like, there's no server anywhere that has your data, your data and the app together, it's right? Somebody who's it's, like, can I, can I, you, you know, say like, I, I want to use, you know, let's say Uniswap or I want to use a social feed, yeah. right? The social feed code comes and renders and then mm -hmm. it like on your device already, it says mm -hmm. like, well, who are, like, which user is this? Let's, mm -hmm. let's rank it for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's not ranked somewhere on Twitter or on Facebook, it's mm -hmm. ranked on your device pretty much. Okay. Right? That's kind of the idea. I mean, obviously there's a lot that, of- that yeah. interaction at, that, at, at your yeah. device. So and, yeah, and you're that, in control. Basically. And that shifts, yeah, that shifts control, which right. means also like as I build the application, right? A, I need, you know, different business model, obviously. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. why we need protocols, not- yeah. I, I actually think that we're gonna see an explosion of new business models, right? Because everything is currently built around this very monolithic idea exactly, of, yeah. of data and manipulation of that data. You're selling user right. data yeah. in some in different ways. Some way it's all data. about user data and yeah. profiling, right? Whereas yeah. this is like, no, now I actually have to build a product yeah. that you're going to want, and I have to convince you this is a good product. And maybe I'll need your data to do that, but we're going to enter into a deal of some exactly, sort. Exactly, yeah. So, right? yeah. So, oh, and it can be like that. You know, I call it protocols, not platforms. And I mean, there's a, uh, kind of the whole thesis about this, but there is set of places where you know, for example, a marketplace. Marketplace is where you saying, I want to buy something or you want to sell something, right? And so you have the bid system. And this is where people willing to share the data of what they're willing to buy or sell mm. to get a match. And that's where the business model is very clear, right? And you can have this kind of a different scale. But if, if the marketplace charging too high of a percentage, everybody will leave to another mm. marketplace, right? So you have a natural kind of competition. Right. And you don't have to worry again about the network effect because you've got the data. Exactly. So yeah. You're not stuck with this this expensive monopoly yeah. uh, marketplace. But the benefit is because you're using this kind of distribution platform, you don't need to rebuild distribution. Like when you're launching a marketplace, you already have Sweatcoin and KaiCheng and you know other apps mm -hmm. users pretty much. They have the money, they have this like they know how to use this stuff and they get you just surface this app to them. Right. So that's kind of the transition that happens is where before you build your marketplace, it's empty, and now you need to bootstrap from scratch everything. Right. right. Uh, These now are you pre-existing. Yeah. Now uh, you're building for this yeah. whole platform. Interesting. CME Group cryptocurrency futures and options provide market-leading liquidity for Bitcoin and Ether trading. 
Participate in the Crypto Classic Trading Challenge from December 10th through December 15th for the chance to win cash prizes. Compete against your peers while test driving your crypto strategies in a risk-free simulated environment. Visit cmegroup.com slash crypto classic to find out more. This communication is not directed to investors of any specific jurisdiction or to recipients based in jurisdictions in which distribution is not permitted. It cannot be considered investment advice or results of market experience. Past results are not indicative of future performance. Trading derivatives products involves the risk of loss. Please consider it carefully. Full disclaimer included in show notes. Introducing PayUSD, PayPal's US dollar equivalent stablecoin. Designed for digital payments and Web3 transactions, PayUSD is the only stablecoin supported by PayPal. Built on Ethereum, it's compatible with the most widely used wallets, exchanges, and dApps, and fully backed by US dollar deposits and cash equivalents. Eligible US PayPal customers who purchase PayPal USD are able to transfer PayPal USD between PayPal and compatible external wallets, send PayPal USD to friends in the US on PayPal or Venmo without fees, shop with PayPal USD on millions of sites, wallets, and dApps, convert any of PayPal's supported cryptocurrencies to and from PayPal USD. Whether you are a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring now at paypal.com PYUSD. So uh, one of the things that you've also paid a lot of attention to, and I think it's a good segue, is, is AI. Um, you know, we are at this, you know, crossroads as I would put it, right? <laughs> like we could go one of two ways and you, you I think, are an eternal optimist and you, you did talk a bit on stage about how you do think AI could phenomenally bring all these positive effects for society, but take the other path and we could rapidly create a dystopia. And I think, I mean, I feel as if this question about centralized control of data has never gotten more serious than it is exactly at a yeah right i now. mean th- that was always like for for us i mean again like you know well yeah tell me about the background first of all because nia began as an yeah, ai company yeah. so so i worked with google research right. right i worked on what now became chat gpt like you know, people describe yeah. it as t of You're the, the chat GPT, right? gpt yeah <laughs> but like on the technology that kind of yeah. started this wave of innovation and so and um like I left and partnered with Alex Kidanov to mm-hmm. start Near AI, which was an AI company. We were wanted to teach machines to code. We wanted to uh, kind of get anybody and everybody to be able to program and create software and interact with computing in a new way. Mm-hmm. And we see this actually coming now, right? Yeah, this yeah. is actually where That's it's where starting to work. Natural which is, language which is really uh, amazing, programming, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so, but the point there was that, yeah, I mean, as you kind of build such capability, right you have like if it's built by a single company right you have influence on potentially all software built in the world right or in or on all you know how like right now this ai agents used across various yeah. areas in the world right and that is extremely dangerous because of the same thing like it, it's power that yeah. you know like corrupts in it's, like, it's, like, it's like what you said before about corruption i mean google decided that it was wise for it to give itself the name you know the slogan don't be evil yeah <laughs> and then it eventually had to drop it because it was too ironic right yeah. it's like eventually if you have that much power because it's always a set of trade-offs right, right? and so like and some government or somebody else has yeah. got you know a backdoor to you there'd be a subpoena to do it like exactly like, yeah what you, do you do when you have to make a choice between 
you know, uh, Iran or, you know, Israel or something, you know, like, no, that, that, that's... Yeah, and so that, I mean, that's why we need an open model that is fair at the base layer, right? That right. everybody can build on and then uh, coordinate. And so with AI, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's indeed a becoming more because more like acute that even the social, because social is where it started, right? This yeah. problem of concentration, but AI is kind of becoming more acute because now anybody who can leverage this and control this has like such a massive advantage. And there's a data mode as well that's been generated. And so what's the fix? How do you, what, what do you, you know, what, well, the open source AI, that's yeah. really the fix. And so we see obviously open source models, which is amazing, but also we need open source inference right now. Like if you want to run a big model, you still need to rely on some web server, some singular server to run it. And you don't have any guarantees that they run exactly the model they say. But mm -hmm. right now, when you call OpenAI, like yeah. API. Ask, ask it the same question, it'll answer it differently. Yeah and, yeah, and actually, like, they can be replacing model under the hood. They can yeah. be like, oh, you, you know, when Coindesk calls it, yeah, we'll create, you know, we'll use this model that's like fine-tuned on specifically be negative mm. about crypto, right? Or something, mm. right? Like, they can do that. And you wouldn't know. And like, yeah. why would they do it? But like, indeed, it can be just government enforcement, for example, in US to, yeah. to tell them that, right? Like kind of there's all these weird things that can happen. And again, this is like exactly what happened with Twitter, for example, where they were getting like, oh, you should shut down this yeah. post and yeah, this post versus, yeah. Yeah, versus having an open platform mm. that then you have spe specific companies that can filter to whatever their community believes is the right thing. But the underlying kind of platform should be decentralized open. And, and open, right? So the same thing should happen with AI where there's a way to prove compute, there's a way to have models decentralized and mm. kind of run them. And then also this allows to have business models actually. The benefit now, you have now new business models where I can fine tune specific model mm. and offer it in this marketplace of decentralized inference and everybody can use it and have guarantees around it and I can receive a little bit of money. Mm. But like, it's not that I use closed ser server and now capture all the data on top of it. It's more I offer it and everybody uses it. So yeah. that's where I think it's really like both carrot right. and stick coming from. And is, it, is that a race that we can still win? I mean, it just seems like you know, open AI is moving so fast. I mean, it's so ironic that it's called open AI, but you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing, like they started with the idea that to right. be, uh, yeah, yeah. that's why like, I mean, it's interesting that like they, they almost there, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the challenge, right? At least my understanding of the challenge there is really they believe that it's too dangerous to give it, right. like to give access uh, to only, But that's also this messianic complex. Only I can be trusted to do this. And, and look, it's also where I think that regulatory capture risk comes from, where, you know, Sam Altman apparently has met with more than 100 lawmakers in the past few months, right? Just he's explaining to them what the regulations should look like coming entirely from that perspective, right? So there's some real risks in this thing being centralized. So I suppose my question is like, you know, is it it's not too late? I mean, we, we can now build an open AI source. I mean, people LLM. people are building, right? We but have open source models. Is the knowledge pool big enough? I mean, what is the... It, it, it is, and at the same time, we have, for example, decentralized marketplace for labeling more training data, right? Yeah. Near tasks. We have kind of more products in the ecosystem that are trying to augment it where they can. Um, and so now it will be about kind of can we create enough incentives and economy around this to mm. really um, offset Again, it's the business model. Right. Yeah, it, but it's the thing. The, the, the benefit is like we it. have interesting ways to kind of experiment yeah. with business models in because of the blockchain and the tokenization and all these efforts. So some of, uh, there was actually some interesting conversations on stage as well about some of the uh, applications of AI in blockchains. And you guys 
some of the folks in your ecosystem have been working on. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the ideas that uh, are being developed? Yeah, I mean, I think the one side of this is definitely around how do you interact with computing and especially blockchain because there is a lot of complicated, you know, on one side, a complicated user interface. On the other side, kind of the benefits are that it's guaranteed that this thing will be there. The data is yours, so it's easier to actually provide it as context to the application. Like it's really hard actually to get your Facebook graph out of Facebook and to and into an AI model, yeah, right? Near impossible. Fact, yeah, versus yeah. yeah, versus the graph that, for example, Near has. It's actually you know because you own it, like you yeah. have you have that in a very specific format that can be plugged in, and now you can answer ask questions about it. Hmm. So, so this project that are doing, for example, way to query in general data around the blockchain. Uh, you can have, uh, there's, they also doing, you can tell it to do something like mint and like generate a picture mm-hmm. of, you know, CoinDesk coming to Nearcon and mm-hmm. mint it as an NFT. Mm-hmm. And it will actually do that and execute that and have an NFT provided for you in, in your wallet. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of experience is already possible. We also have actually at this hackathon, we will build a way to, out of a smart contract, call out in, into some AI models through a secure enclave. And to do and what this allows to do is now write smart contracts that are kind of AI enabled, right? They can right. have a natural language inputs and outputs and can decide to do something based on that, right? You can actually say, like, well, uh, for example, um, you can have an oracle that can read a you know sports betting page or or news on CNN and, and answer who won the game or who mm-hmm. won the elections or something like was there something happened, like you can analyze events or something else and so, respond to that. So, so like it could actually more rapidly and expansively grow the whole Oracle infrastructure, right? Right. We currently have Oracles that are very, for just prices, very specifically yeah. designed, yeah. right? They have to be, you're saying like through this model now, so many more things could become Oracles. Exactly, yeah. Oracles, which means you can start acting on, on them on chain, right. right? You can, I mean, for everything from futures to figuring out how to maybe make decisions around funding and allocation, right? Mm. And so this this goes into more governance ideas where leveraging AI for governance is extremely powerful because AI can kind of predictably evaluate options. It can describe and detail what needs to be done. It can have summarization. It can have like way to answer questions, but it also needs a way to actually interact with blockchain and, and make responses. But it also brings up the point you were raising before about how important it is that that AI is not the controls on it. Because exactly. if you've got a blockchain that yeah. has now got some nefarious AI you know, model that you know Microsoft or somebody else controls, God knows what they could do with those assets. Exactly, you know? yeah. So, so you need something that's provable compute to ensure yeah. that, yeah, it's not trying to, uh, it's not manipulated in some way. So I wonder, I wonder whether, you know, as we're now supposedly moving to the Stratify world, right? There's an ETF and Bitcoin price almost hit 38,000 today because there's a lot of speculation around, you know, the speed of an ETF and this whole conversation about the traditional financial institutions coming and tokenization of assets, which are, from what I gather, being built on open blockchains. I mean, these are polygon products that are being used by big financial institutions. If they're going to build models around that, that those assets now, like trade off smart contracts and so forth. There's no way they're going to want, you know, some, they're going to need an open architecture to do it, I would think. For right? sure. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, for any financial stuff, yeah. you definitely cannot rely on like a. Yeah. If JP Morgan controls the LLM that Goldman is trading on, there's no way that that's yeah. going to fly. Right. So, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it always gets to be this issue though. Like, like what is going to be the wedge issue that drives people to actually start? Yeah. 
embracing these open models, you know. So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, on the other side, I mean, right now we see some of the regulatory capture that's happening. Like, oh, if you have more than 10 to 29 floating point operations, which is like trying to regulate picks and shovels, which is like the worst thing you can do. Like instead of regulating the outcomes, you're regulating how people are doing right. stuff, which right. is like now when I'm running stuff on my laptop, am I need to count now yeah. what I'm doing? Like right. how many floating operate? Like, is this like, are they expecting now Apple devices to have a counter on the, how many process units you process, like floating points you multiply? Like, it's just like a kind of ridiculous yeah. frame for this versus, versus taking it from the other side and, and saying, well, we want to ensure that the outcomes are, you know, not malicious and we mm. need to do this and this like way of tracking what the outcomes are so we can actually know who produced them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not produced by anyone who is uh, kind of verified, verified or, yeah. or has the reputation from before, they need to either build the reputation or, mm. uh, or maybe it's malicious and we can surface that. So like, for example, right now in browser, we switch to HTTPS and we have this green check, mm -hmm. uh, green kind of thing. And that transition, you know, secured the internet, right? Before, yeah. like, actually all the information huge, was public. Subtle shift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we need that. We need the green check mark for yeah. content now. Where it's like, hey, this content being yeah. produced now, by somebody trusted. Yeah. And you can look and see the trust chain. For right. This. But you need, you need to use blockchain. You need to use cryptography and right. hashing to yeah, actually I mean, understand this. Yeah, all the, all the deep fakes that are coming and so forth, yeah. right? How do we prove the provenance of all of that material? All right, well, we could go on and on about this. <laughs> I, I, it's my favorite topic. And it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Ilya, with this wide-ranging perspective. Thanks for putting on a great conference. Thanks for having me here. And I'll sign off for now. That's the talk for now. I'm Michael Casey from Coindesk's uh, Chief Content Officer. Uh, this is uh, an episode of Money Reimagined. And Sheila and I will be back next week together. So join us then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. Today's show has been produced by senior producer Michelle Musso. Our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is The News Tonight by Shimmer. We would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.